works. Our scripture reading this evening is taken from Amos 4. Amos 4, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read these words. Ask that you give attention to them. Amos 4, 1 through 5. Hear the word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, behold, a day shall come upon you when he shall take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress, and Gilgal, multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offering. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord. Let us ask God to bless his words to our hearts. Let us pray. Lord, take these words and teach us. They're very strong words, but you never gave us anything that was useless. There's a purpose, and let us learn the purpose of your word. So that as we look ahead to this year, to all the things that will occupy us, whether in industry or in farming or day-to-day projects around the house, that we will be reminded that we will be challenged to depend upon you and not to abuse what you have given to us and not to crush others in the process. Hear us, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't get rich in these two ways. Our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, Amos' prophecy was directed to the prosperous nation of Israel before it fell to the Assyrians in 722 BC under Shalmaneser. It was a time in Israel when people were comfortable in their daily lives. It was a time of prosperity, at least for some. The rich, Amos says, had two homes, one in the city, one in the country. They even had paneled housing, something that was not common in the Middle East. But that wealth and prosperity came at a great price. Their wealth and prosperity often did not come by blessings from God for obedient living. Rather, that prosperity came from plundering the poor and perverting worship. So the peace that Israel enjoyed was actually the peace before the storm. And there was a big storm coming in the form of the Assyrian army. And when you think of the Assyrians, think of those who would grab babies and bash their heads against brick walls as part of their savaging of a nation and decorating their streets with the skulls of people they killed. So there was a storm coming, and 
and it was a big one. Today we'll examine the consequences of Israel's wrong methods of getting rich and then see what happened. Our headings are three. Don't get rich by oppressing the needy. Second, don't get rich by corrupting worship. And then third, or you will suffer the consequences. And our goals are that you will learn that wealth gained by inappropriate methods will be the ground of the loss of God's favor and will bring judgment on God's people, making them unable to fulfill their kingdom duties to their Savior. So there's always an angle that points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. First we will look at don't get rich by oppressing the needy. There were three issues with the people of Israel at this time. First of all, they became self-indulgent. Self-indulgent. When they became self-indulgent, then they started to lust for wealth, secondly. They got to have it. Others had it, so they had to have it too. The newest thing, the biggest house, the second house. And when lust grows, it gets into, it becomes uh, action. And they extorted from the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners. Self-indulgent desires caused them to be like those who would steal milk from a baby. Think of that picture. In Micah chapter 3 verse 1, the Bible says, And I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You hate good and love evil. You strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. You eat the flesh of my people, flay their skin from them, break their bones and chop them in pieces like meat for the pot, like flesh for the cauldron. What graphic language. And that's what God's people did in order to get the wealth that they wanted. Even Solomon beforehand had warned about those who live this way. He was saying, if you live for yourself, trouble is on the horizon. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Do what you want. Or as we said in, our, in my home country, if you can't hear, you're going to feel. And that's usually parents talk for disobedient children. And God is saying the same thing through Solomon. It's interesting too that God called these people who crushed the needy, taking advantage of them to satiate their self-indulgent desires. He called them fat cows. Now, in our context, we read that and we think that's an insult in terms of the size of the person. But it wasn't that. This was a classic Hebrew insult. It was a feminine word. They were not bulls, but they were heifers, young female cows. By the way, God does use insults to get the attention of the people. Because that's what they were acting like. He used a lot worse words than that to describe his bride. 
And because God called these men female cows or heifers, he described those who helped them, those who helped them to plunder the poor as their husbands. You see the, the nature of what God is saying here, the kinds of insult. These cows, these heifers, these men who had taken advantage of others, called on their husbands to buy wine so they could celebrate. They could celebrate the crushing of the poor so that they could satiate their desires. The things that came from dishonest gain. Or stolen money, we might say. That's the first point. What can we learn here? Well, first of all, there are many ways in which the poor are oppressed for profit. There are many businessmen, I know, I talked to some who sold products from China. And they were imported here and they were sold at a profit of 500%. That's done in the name of capitalism, of course, and it is legal. But isn't it cruel? It's getting rich by being cruel to others, not paying a fair wage. But there are also many husbands and fathers who ignore their wives and children. So we're coming a little bit more closer to home now. Why? Because they become preoccupied with money, position, and influence. They spend too much time at work and too much time on the internet or doing other things. You see, the truth is, brothers and sisters, some of the poorest people in the world are Christian children and Christian wives. And it's not because there isn't money there. Because they're poor, they have enough money to buy the things they need. But they suffer at the hands of husbands who become too preoccupied with work. And so harm them, rob those children, deprive them. I remember one elder telling me once, one of our elders, a long time ago, he said, his son asked him one day, Dad, how much do you work for in a day? And he was a very big engineer, lots of money. He said, why do you want to know how much money I make in a day? And this was a seven or eight, seven year old. He said, I want to know how much money I have so I can pay you to stay with me for one day. You talk about being kicked in the stomach. And that's something to remind the, the child can be easily be robbed, the wives can be robbed. But there are also children who ignore their elderly parents because they're too busy in our modern times being world travelers and engaging in other things, creature comforts, making more money. And they may get rich, but they're ignoring the people they should not ignore, the ones to whom they're obligated as well. So that's the first lesson. There are many ways in our modern times where you can oppress the poor for profit. Well, why don't some, uh, while some don't abuse the poor directly, they indulge themselves in their wealth and they pose a threat to others. 
Let me give you an example. is if somebody drinks too much alcohol. They get drunk. They go on the road. They cause an accident. They hurt other people. I grew up in a country where alcoholism is so endemic that so many wives and children have been abused because people indulge themselves. So some might be fighting for money, but some might be fighting for alcohol or something else. And they work hard for those things, but other people suffer on account of that. And I want you to keep that in mind as you think of how you're going to spend the next six months in your home, in your job, around you. More, their self-indulgence is a waste of resources from which a whole family should have benefited. If someone is having a family and they waste money on some useless thing, and you have to always decide those are personal matters, but if you waste money on things that are just for your sake, you could be robbing your own children. You know, we think about how robbing a, a baby of milk, and we say, who would do such a thing like that? But you can also rob your family of wealth because you squander it. And that goes for children as well. You don't take care of the things that you have. You are contributing to the decline and poverty of the family. Think of another case in Canada. We heard our brother pray for the, the work of those who are standing up for the persecute, uh, Sorry, the, the babies who are sentenced to be killed. Think of how mothers, the reason where, why many people kill their babies in North America. It's for self-convenience. They need more money, and if they're going to have a child, they're not going to be able to do so, so they kill the baby. Think of the consequences, the abuse of the weak and the poor and the helpless. Maybe it's not widows, orphans, and foreigners, and in many ways those babies are orphans because their parents are acting in such a horrible way as if, their parent, as if they were dead and the children are going to be killed. But mothers do this for convenience. And they just remove the hindrance. As our prime minister says, reproductive rights. They've got to protect that freedom. But think of the consequences. You see, this is not something uh, small. Think of the shame these self-indulgent lifestyles have brought Christ. We think of the poverty and how it hurts children and, and our wives and ourselves and our churches and so on. But the thing is, how much these things hurt the cause of Christ. You see, you have to remember whose you are. You belong to Christ. He is your Lord and therefore you're obligated to live your life. Whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. And that's the biggest reason or the biggest lesson here is to see what that kind of lifestyle will do to Christ. Now we come to our second point. Don't get rich, first of all, by abusing the poor, but don't get rich by corrupting worship. Now we look at what we see in verse 4. If you have your Bibles open, you can take note because there are a number of things I want to point out in the text now. Don't get rich by corrupting worship. Those who were self-indulgent and lusted for wealth pushed aside the worship of God and they did so in either of two ways. The most common ways that they continued to worship but they offered sacrifices with the wrong heart. And second, some abandoned worship altogether. But most stayed with worship. They had the form of worship but there was a problem. The heart was bad. They offered sacrifices in a formalistic way. And if you want to see what formalism is, you read in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus pointed out one of the 
themes of the Sermon of the Mount was to rebuke the Pharisees for their formalism. So they would go through all the forms. They would fast. They would pray. They would give. And they would give so everyone can see. They had the rituals down, but the heart was not right. I like to describe formalism like souffle. Because I like to talk about food. Souffle is it, its such a beautiful shape. It looks good. But you drop your hand in it, it goes right through. There's no substance there. It looks like a cake, but it's not real cake. And that's how these people were living their lives. So what did they do? Look at some of the things that they did. They brought their morning sacrifices in uh, verse 4. Bring your sacrifices in the morning, Lord. That's what they were doing. But they had no love for God. They brought their tithes to God every three days. You didn't have to bring your tithes every three days. These people were showing some action. But they had no heart behind it. They thought that this would pacify God. Let's just give him some extra. Right? I had one man who told his son... As a member of our church, well, I will work on Sunday so I can give more money to the church. As if God were desperate for money. And the cattle on a thousand hills didn't belong to him. Well, these people would bring their sacrifices or their tithes. And thought that God would blink at their sin. That could bribe God. They also brought peace offerings with leaven. Now these, this is unique because the peace offering with leaven, you couldn't put it on the altar, but you could enjoy it together. This is what you would have with each other. So it was a celebration. It was a fellowship. It showed closeness between God and man and man and man. So they looked again like they had good form, but the heart was rotten. They also brought freewill offerings in verse 5. Proclaim and announce the freewill offerings. Now that's quite a remarkable thing. Because, you know, they could easily say, well, we don't have to bring these. We bring the prescribed offering and we did our task. But these people, while they were being cruel to the poor, so they could indulge themselves, they were looking very religious in the process. And even bringing offerings they didn't have to bring. But this love offering came with a corrupt heart. See, God doesn't want one without the other. The heart must come with the, with the songs you sing. The, the heart must come with the attention you give to the sermon. The heart must come with the prayer. When you see your brothers and sisters and you hug them on Sunday, the heart must be behind it, not just the arms. Well, these covenant children only had the form. They didn't really care about true worship. They, didn't, they felt like they did the religious thing and they were happy in the process. But I want to back up a minute. What I didn't talk about in verse 4, if you had your Bible, you see that I didn't mention anything about Bethel and Gilgal. And they're quite interesting things or reasons that those two things were mentioned, those two places. God wanted them, he said, go worship in Bethel. And you wonder, why would God want them to worship in Bethel? Well, you remember, Bethel was the first place uh, 
formerly was known as Luz. That's where um, Jacob met with God. And remember, he had the, the ladder and all. And he said, I'm going to come back and build a, a house of God here. And he named the place Bethel. Bethel means house of Elohim, house of God. But that's not the point that God was making. That's where the natural mind goes. There was also something significant that happened here. This is the place where Jeroboam, after Rehoboam, caused the kingdom to be split. Jeroboam told the people, I want you to stay here in Bethel and worship. Don't go to Jerusalem. And there he set up the calf. One of the calves that he set up and say, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. This is the God you ought to worship. So God was really saying, you know, that's where you look like you're going. Idolatry. You've moved away from worshiping me. You're worshiping a false God. And what about Gilgal? Well, remember, Gilgal was first a place of promise. That's where the Israel camped on the west side, of, or sorry, in the, the west side of the Jordan, right in front of Jericho. God says, everyone needs to be circumcised. And you have to trust me and wait. And there was a renewal of the covenant before God. And it was a wonderful thing. But later on, Gilgal, that's where King Saul was made king. And that's the place where he offered illicit worship. He took on the job of making sacrifices and acting like a priest when he wasn't a priest. And he had no business doing that. Yeah, that might have looked good that the king was interested in the worship of God. But he had no business making sacrifices. So God was reminding them of this as well. Not the good part where they had made covenant. Maybe God wanted to remind them in the background. But, but surely he was pointing to them at the corruption of their worship during the time of Saul. They were acting in this arrogant way as he did. What about those who may have abandoned worship altogether? These kept the form. They kept worship, but they had no heart. Well, those who abandoned worship altogether were showing contempt of God, and they used the Sabbath for their own pursuit, abandoning God's plan for worship. That's how they wanted to get rich, by abandoning the true worship of God, or worshiping God without the heart, without the interest. What can we learn here? First of all, simple moral lesson is don't be a, a souffle Christian. One who looks good but doesn't have the heart behind it. But more, don't be obsessing with farm or industry or, or pleasure and ignore the true worship of God. You see, God will not bless your new boat that you work hard to purchase if you ignore the worship of God or treat it with contempt. Or you come here and you can't open your eyes on Sunday because you work too late Saturday night. That boat will not be blessed. God will not bless your job or your studies if you abandon him and his people to do your studies. He's given you six days for your work but one day belongs to him. And if it's used for anything else it's treating him with contempt. God will not bless your house renovation projects. 
or even your kitchen garden that you plant, if you don't worship him, or you treat his worship with contempt, you worship him in a formalistic way. And if you don't take the time to help God's people. You see, when we gather for worship, it's more than just singing the songs of praise and listening to preaching. It's the time you spend together with each other. But if you're too busy or too tired, and you have to run home as soon as the church service is done, you disappear, and you don't have time to help or others. Don't expect God to bless what you're doing. See, God is a jealous God. And you put an idol before him. He could take that idol away, whatever it is. So what happens if you do this? What happens if you take advantage of people, even your own family, in your pursuit of success in your projects, in your industry, in your farming. What happens if you are contemptible in your worship? You go through the motions, but you don't really have the heart behind it. Well, you will suffer the consequences. That's what is in verse uh, 2 and 3. God announced chastisement with certainty for those who abuse the needy and corrupted worship. How do we know that? The first line of verse 2 says, The Lord God has sworn by his holiness. God doesn't normally swear, except when it's for something very serious. And he swore by his holiness. That means he will absolutely do what he promised. So God chastisement, he said. He swore that chastisement was coming. But it was in the future. Kind of interesting that God does this. He swear this is going to happen to you. Implying that God was giving them time to repent. Now I want you to remember something here. The Assyrians were the people that Jonah went to. The capital of Assyria was Nineveh. And the people of Nineveh would hear the message of God and repent. But the people of God would not repent. He was giving them time even to repent. Remember God said to Nineveh, 40 days judgment is coming. He's telling them, you've got some years. Get your life in order. They didn't. But God's chastisement in the future was also a warning that these things would come upon their children their posterity. This was not going to be some short term punishment. And indeed the Assyrians took the northern ten and a half tribes. And scattered them all over the world. This was a time when some were taken to India. And Afghanistan. And lots went into Africa. And even to the west. You know most people when they hear. They will be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, They deal with it. You know if you. Find out that you might be sick. You deal with it. But when you hear this is going to happen to your children. You pay more attention don't you. And that's what God is saying. Be careful. Because this will happen to your children. Take the warning seriously. More. God's chastisement was graphically pictured for them. You know when somebody says it's going to punish you. You figure okay I get that punishment. But look at the picture that he describes here. He will get a fish hook. They will be led away in fish hook. 
fish hooks. You know what that is like. If you've ever had go fishing, and most people who have have probably got a fish hook in your uh, finger somewhere, or some other body part. But you see what happens when you put that, when that fish gets a good bite on that hook. You can control that fish and do, doesn't matter how big that fish is, you know he's coming in. There's no escape. And that's what God is saying. And this is going to hurt. The fat cows that were treating him with contempt would be led away to their destruction. It's kind of interesting. That's exactly how some of the kings were taken away in chains. And then he said this would violently happen. They would violently be taken away out of their element. They're comfortable. Their lives are okay. They're not starving or anything. But they're going to be taken away. And they would be cast into Harmon. And what is Harmon? That's really uh, a short form of Harmenia. A fortified place. A place from which there would be no escape. And indeed many Christians were, I'm sorry, many Jews were taken to Armenia or Armenia after uh, the, the Assyrians came. But there's one more thing that we miss. If you have your Bible, you can look at it in verse 6. It says this. Also I give you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me. God is saying this is what this is a future. It's a projection. What will happen for the future? At this time they were okay. But God is saying I'll give you cleanness of teeth. And you think that's not dental hygiene for sure. isn't it? What that was is that you will have nothing to eat. So you will have no food stuck between your teeth. They're looking right now and saying, I don't have time for God. I'm, I'm going to take advantage of the week so I could get rich. I'm going to ignore worship so I could get rich. And God's saying, all you have. And you read the same thing he said in Haggai. You'll put your money in your pocket and they'll put holes in it. So you'll lose what you think you're gaining. And that's what God is saying to them. Cleanness of teeth. So what can we learn from this judgment, the consequences those who reject God's way of provision, and that's by hard and honest work, or inheritance from those who, who work hard and honestly, that these people will be chased out. There's no escaping. See, God is watching and seeing your every indulgent moment. Nothing escapes his eye. And he sees if you indulge yourself at the cost of the poor and the cost of worship. And those who crush the poor and those who pervert his worship will be dragged like a fish with a hook in its snout. And yet, it will be even worse than that, won't it? Because hell is a place of eternal fire. They'll be locked away, not just in Armenia, in the, the walled city. They'll be locked away in hell. From which there is no escape. This is a serious matter brothers and sisters. Let's conclude. The desire to be self-indulgent. Caused many in Israel to abuse the poor. And the needy. Robbing, robbing them. They abused the widows, orphans and foreigners. And even their own people. Even their own children. And their wives. Israel's most important duty. The worship of God was then ignored. 
in this perilous pursuit of personal pleasure. And then God called them names, bad names. He threatened them, even giving them the details of the punishment he will put upon them and their children. So what do we leave with here, brothers and sisters? I know this is a very strong sermon, and it's always nice to have something encouraging, but this is what God gave to us. What do you leave here with? One, material advantage gained by inappropriate methods at the expense and abuse of the poor or at the expense of true worship will never be blessed by God and you can count on his judgment. Keeping in mind that the poor may be your wife or your children or your parents or your country or your church. But it's not all negative. Realize how much you have in Christ. Think of the fact that you are a child of the Son of God. You are the one, your Father is in heaven. He is great enough, He controls heaven. He is your Father, He cares for you. You have a new heart, a new name, a new record, a new life. You have eternity in your hearts even now and will receive the blessing that I cannot see and he, he cannot hear or understand or mine cannot understand the wonderful things that are awaiting you. That's what you have in Jesus Christ. The burden of your sins have been taken away. So you don't have to become obsessed with and pursue ordinary things at the expense of that which is important. God does not want you to sacrifice the needy and sacrifice his worship for your own pleasure. He's given you the things that you need. But you have to know you are in Christ. You were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Your greater treasures are being stored up in heaven where even now Christ is preparing a place for you. That's the only thing that will stop you. You know, it's easy to sacrifice your children because they're not always good, or even your husband or your wife. But when you go back to the cross and see Jesus Christ hanging there for you, and all he's given to you, you will be balanced in your life. You will work hard, but you won't work so hard that you can't worship. You wouldn't work in a way that will take advantage of others because you are already rich in ways that the world cannot even imagine. But I have a final thought for those who may not be believers. Maybe you've lived your life for the accumulation of wealth or worldly accomplishments. Those things will be destroyed. Only what is done for Christ will last. So if you want to live your life to please Christ, then ask him to make you his child. He says, come, come into my house, come eat at my table. You want food, I will give you everything you need. That's what you have in Christ, everything you need. Come to him.